Welcome to A Reason for Hope. My name is Adrian, and I'm here in studio with our senior pastor, Scott Richards. That would be me, not you, but me. (laughs) For those of you keeping score at home. (laughs) (laughs) It's uh, Happy Monday and uh, soon Happy Fourth of July, for those of you who celebrate the Fourth of July. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, we are uh, just happy to be here. Uh, This is A Reason for Hope. We live stream this program from Tucson, Arizona, out of our church, uh, Calvary Christian Fellowship. And uh, this is a Bible answer program where people uh, join us on a live stream on various social media platforms and ask their questions about the Bible, about uh, the historic Christian faith, about uh, whether or not Christianity is true, or perhaps a little deeper understanding into the words of the Bible. So we would love for you to join us, and there are multiple ways you can do that. You can, of course, join us on the usual places like Facebook. Go to facebook.com and simply type in our handle, which is at CCF Tucson. And we'd really appreciate it if you'd like our page. And of course, if you share it uh, to your newsfeed, that would even be better. And of course, our main goal is for you to engage with us by asking questions. So once you find the live stream, A Reason for Hope, at CCF Tucson, just simply use the comment section as a place to leave your question. And we'll be happy to address your questions throughout the program. We're following or monitoring the chat feed uh, throughout the show and we live stream this program from 5 p.m. to 6 p.m. every weekday Mountain Standard Time. We also live stream simultaneously to YouTube and if you happen to catch us there please subscribe and hit that notification bell. We live stream all of our services right here as well. So if you want to follow along with Pastor Scott on a current study we typically teach book by book, chapter by chapter, verse by verse throughout the whole Bible not necessarily the books in order, but we go through a whole book at a time. Right now we're going through the book of Acts on Sunday mornings and the book of Ezekiel on Wednesday evenings. Working without a net for sure. (laughs) (laughs) If you uh, do go to YouTube, you can use our uh, handle, A Reason for Hope 546, that is there, or you can just do a simple search for A Reason for Hope on YouTube and find us there. Same idea, just leave a question in the chat area on the YouTube live stream and we'll monitor that throughout the program. We also archive our program on Rumble. So if you miss the program and don't wanna go searching through YouTube and would I'd rather just, <laughs> some people are just committed to watching all their uh, content on Rumble, so you can do that. We uh, do put the top three questions in the title. So if you have a particular question that you may believe that we've already answered and just want to go and watch the program, we would invite you to do so. So you can go to Rumble, and if you do find us a reason for hope, uh, would you follow us? That'd be great, we'd love to grow our audience. Now I did take this screenshot some time ago, so I do hope that we have more than 20 followers at the the moment. (laughs) Now if you want to avoid social media altogether, you can go to our website, calvarychristianfellowship.com, that's calvarychristianfellowship.com, Go to the Watch Live tab, and not only can you watch our services and this program, but there's a nifty little chat box where you can leave your questions in real time, as well as a uh, convenient prayer button. So if there's something that's weighing heavy on you and your heart, your life, your family, your work, and you would like those of us here in the Calvary Christian Fellowship community to pray for you, we would be happy to take your prayer request, and we would just consider it a joy to go before God on your behalf. We also have an app. We'd really encourage you to download it if you are a member of our community. You can download it on the 
Apple or Google Play Store. And on this app, you can not only keep track of current events, we have the ability to do uh, child check-in, which will be coming very, very soon. We're still working out the, the know-how on that, how that's gonna work. Uh, we also have a nifty little digital Bible that you can make notes, you can highlight, you can start chat groups, you can watch live streams, past episodes, archives of our teachings through the Bible, and so much more, so I'd encourage you to download that. We also live stream our services to Roku and Amazon Fire products. So if you have a Roku device or an Amazon Fire product, you can go and add us as one of your channels and watch our services there as well. And finally, as far as asking questions during the program, if you'd prefer to be a little more discreet, you can email us directly by uh, emailing us at questionsforhope at gmail.com. That's questionsforhope, all spelled out with letters, no numbers, at gmail.com. And of course, uh, please follow our senior pastor on Twitter. It's a very informative and entertaining Twitter feed. And if you want to do that, you can just go to Twitter and search for at Scott R4H. That's Scott Richards at Scott R4H. <clears throat> well, having said all of that, yeah, now that you know how to, <laughs> uh, now you know the how to's. Um, At least 80 different ways to access the program. <laughs> One of them's got to work. <laughs> yeah, right. Well, you know, we want to make sure that we're accessible because this is a very valuable program. Uh, it started on the radio over 20 years ago, and uh, it's been going strong since. Yeah, yeah, on 9 11, believe it or not, that was our first. Uh, foray into doing a reason for hope. We just figured there had to be people out there with questions on their minds after that uh, that horrible set of events. And so Pastor Robert Furrow of uh, Calvary Tucson and I went down to uh, the local radio station, opened up the lines and did Q&A for an hour. The mm -hmm. response was so strong that eventually it has morphed and mutated into the ministry you see here today. So, yeah. We are missing Sean. He's uh, this is his one day off. I think he kind of takes Saturdays off too. But uh, we we've been working him to death, and finally we decided, Sean, take Mondays off. So he's having his rest day. So it'll just be Pastor Scott and I on Mondays. But uh, Tuesday through Friday, you can catch uh, either all three of us or uh, Dave Robson's back in country and back at That's back right. at the helm as our worship pastor. Uh, such a gifted individual and such a joy to know him as a human being as a believer but also uh, just as a very talented worship leader so if you uh, catch our services live be sure to tune in on time because you can catch our worship services which is always just a, uh, a great joy to sing to the Lord with uh, such talented people but he'll be back starting tomorrow uh, or not tomorrow because we're taking the day off tomorrow <laughs> fourth of July that's right <laughs> so we won't be doing a live stream if you're listening on the radio and you catch us on tomorrow. We we put this today's broadcast will be on tomorrow. We'll do a best of uh, on Wednesday, I believe. So tune in for that. But before we take your questions and before we do any updates on current events, let's take a moment to pray and ask the Lord to be with us. Yeah, absolutely, Father. I thank you that we can welcome your presence here, Lord. It's not just Adrian and I, but uh, your presence through your Spirit to guide and lead us into all truth. We pray that the questions we answer would be honoring to you, that you'd be glorified, and uh, that you would uh, truly be in control and guide our conversation and discussion, Lord. Uh, I pray that, that even as uh, the broadcast unfolds, you would reveal to those who are asking the questions that maybe it's not just a question that's on their mind, but maybe a question on the minds of a lot of different people across the world uh, have the same things going on, same uh, questions about your word, 
And so, Lord, uh, I pray that through this we would minister to each other and mostly hear from you. Edify us, exhort us, and comfort us through your spirit, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, uh, <clears throat> we have a, a little prophecy update. Yeah, sort of a prophecy update, at least, uh, well, a couple things. Uh, there's a major uh, operation going on in Israel right now in uh, the uh, northern uh, West Bank city of Jenin. Uh, the uh, Israeli uh, defense forces have gone in there and discovered uh, a number of places where uh, large-scale weapons caches and uh, laboratories that are designed to manufacture improvised explosive devices, such as the ones that were used uh, on military equipment in Afghanistan and Iraq. Uh, they've uh, been able to uh, locate these. Uh, a major uh, shootout happened between uh, some of these terrorists who took uh, refuge in a mosque. Uh, the IDF uh, managed to overwhelm them, come into the mosque and find uh, literally uh, in the, uh, the, the bottom of the mosque, uh, a, a treasure trove of explosive devices and materials to make explosives. Wow. So a uh, very common tactic, unfortunately, uh, by Muslim terrorists to use a, uh, a holy place, a place of worship, as a, a weapons warehouse. Uh, Israel is saying right now that they haven't given this uh, uh, situation in Janine a, a name uh, like Operation you know, Blackbird or anything like this, uh, because they don't feel like it rises to the full level of, say, the uh, the conflict that took place between, uh, say, Israel and uh, Islamic Jihad uh, in Gaza last week. Uh, they also have said that uh, even though it is their intention to clean out these terrorist cells and have even, in fact, uh, done the unprecedented uh, tactics of using uh, drones and uh, helicopter gunships to take out some of the uh, terrorist cells. Uh, the goal isn't to uh, take territory. Uh, this isn't, say, Israel wanting to uh, take uh, back the uh, geography that used to be known as Samaria in uh, biblical times. Uh, they are uh, very uh, cautious about maintaining uh, the status quo and keeping all their allies happy, but uh, they simply could not allow Janine to continue to spiral, spiral out of control as it has. Mm -hmm. And so uh, as we're speaking right now, uh, there have been a number of um, individuals who've lost their lives in this conflict. Uh, be praying for the peace of Jerusalem, be praying for the Israeli people in the midst of all this, and be praying uh, for the Palestinians who find themselves caught uh, in the middle uh, of this uh, kind of a uh, unfortunate uh, uh, staging, if you will, of uh, an Iranian-backed uh, uh, military base in Israeli territory. Along that same line, we mentioned last week that uh, the Hezbollah guerrillas had uh, established a military base inside of Israeli territory in the uh, Golan Heights. Mm. Uh, they uh, have not withdrawn from this. Israel has not made a huge deal about it so far, as far as going in and just cleaning them out uh, for reasons that are kind of unknown, but uh, they are using it as a uh, public relations 
uh, device to uh, gin up support, saying, look, uh, the invasion of uh, the, Zion the Zionist entity has already started and so on. They're also discovering in both these situations that Iran is bankrolling uh, the, uh, the terrorist operations. So uh, once again, we don't know uh, if this is going to be something that is, uh, you know, a fuse that is going to uh, uh, cause something explosive to happen there. It's very possible that this could happen along these lines. But, uh, you know, it's funny how um, these things tend to backfire because, as you may know, there's incredible division right now in Israel, especially regarding judicial reform. Uh, there were a number of protesters against the idea of judicial reform, taking some of the absolute power away from the judiciary and transferring it over to uh, the legislative uh, branch, the parliamentary branch of Israel. Uh, there was a huge uh, shutdown of Ben-Gurion Airport by protesters earlier today. And so a lot of division there. But when this Janine situation erupted, uh, leaders uh, on all sides of the coin, all sides of the spectrum came together and said, no, when this happens, we're all Israelis, we are standing behind the government, we're standing behind this operation. So something good, in fact, has come out of it. Uh, you know, another interesting uh, thing that uh, was buzzing on Twitter earlier, uh, I don't know how many of you, you uh, remember Jim Baker uh, from the uh, PTL scandals that went on in the early 80s. And as you may or may not recall, uh, Jim Baker and his wife, Tammy Faye Baker, uh, were the hosts of a program called the PTL Club. It was sort of like a 700 Club uh, spinoff. They uh, built a uh, huge resort. Uh, sold timeshares to this resort, but oversold it. Uh, there were those that uh, came in and uh, essentially got uh, convicted. Jim Baker on, uh, on charges of fraud. Uh, he, it also came out that uh, there was incredible immorality going on in the ministry. Baker did time in prison, uh, was sentenced to 40 years, but I think they let him out after nine. Hmm. And uh, now he's back on the scene and uh, made a comment uh, that, uh, well, uh, I guess maybe the best way I can describe it was uh, it, when I was a kid in uh, grade school, there was this uh, particularly uh, mischievous borderline juvenile delinquent that we went to school with uh, that we called uh, Little Greggy, for lack of a better term. And one of Little Greggy's favorite things was to bring a can of Coke with him to recess and find a red anthill and pour the Coke on top of it and watch the red ants go crazy. Well, I kind of had a little Greggy flashback uh, when Jim Baker uh, went online and declared that because uh, the White House has officially sanctioned a Pride Month uh, that was last June, the United States is no longer at this point. We've crossed the line. We are no longer a Christian nation. Well, as you can imagine, <laughs> the, uh, the blowback uh, from the usual suspects on Twitter uh, was quite intense and immense. But uh, we got a number of questions uh, from people asking a really important question that gets raised along this line and certainly does almost every year at election time. Is the United States a Christian nation? Can we say that uh, you know, we are one nation really under God, the God of the Bible, uh, you know, Psalm 33 says, blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord, the people who's mm. chosen for his inheritance. Does the United States fit that 
particular description. And there's a lot of controversy uh, about that. And when that question gets raised, I think it's appropriate to answer that question. And, and if someone asks you this kind of question, to answer it uh, really in three ways. Number one, historically, was the United States founded by individuals that came from a Christian background? Well, absolutely, certainly, uh, from a historical point of view, the United States uh, was, was a Christian nation. It was populated by people, uh, for the most part, that were fleeing various forms of persecution against their practice of their Christian belief from Europe. And, and so because of that, uh, the, the various states uh, that were established, originally British colonies, uh, oftentimes had decidedly Christian overtones to them. For instance, Maryland, uh, getting its name from the Virgin Mary, was intended to be a place where Roman Catholics uh, could settle and, uh, and be at peace. Uh, Pennsylvania, uh, you've heard of uh, the Quakers and so on. They were the dominant group in that particular area uh, and so on. Uh, so, you know, historically, uh, the people that settled and established the, the, uh, the area that we know as the United States today, uh, I would say historically, uh, the United States is most certainly coming from a Christian worldview. It was sort of an outflowing of uh, the Reformation in a lot of ways. Culturally, we need to ask the question, is the United States a Christian nation? Well, almost certainly in terms of attitudes and behaviors, I would have to say no. Uh, any nation that is the number one purveyor of pornography to the world simply cannot take upon themselves the mantle of being a Christian nation. And we won't even get into the statistics about abortion, the other things that the United States has done that are completely contrary uh, to uh, a biblically-based relationship with God. So we'd have to say as we stand right now, not just because there was Pride Month last month, but for a number of different issues, uh, the United States culturally, I would say, is not Christian. Constitutionally, however, uh, as far as our government is concerned, we have to give a, a qualified yes to that particular question because the Constitution that was established was based upon that same Christian worldview that the vast majority of the Founding Fathers, maybe with three exceptions as far as the signers of the Constitution are concerned, were committed Christian individuals, not deists, as you may have been yeah. erroneously uh, told. Uh, you know, there's some really uh, interesting uh, uh, quotes that support this. Uh, for instance, one of the most uh, famous quotes uh, comes from John Adams, who explained in 1798 about the nature of our government, he says, we have no government armed with power, capable of contending with human passions, unbridled by morality and religion. Avarice, ambition, revenge, or gallantry would break the strongest cords of our Constitution as a whale goes through a net. Our Constitution was made only for a moral and religious people. It is wholly inadequate to the government of any other. Mm -hmm. So in other words, you've had to bring this Christian worldview to the Constitution in order for the Constitution to function. Now, uh, George Washington went on to say uh, in uh, a letter from 1783, uh, he wrote this, that God would most graciously be pleased to dispose to us all to do justice, to love mercy, and to demean ourselves with that charity, humility, and pacific temper of mind 
which were the characteristics of the divine author of our blessed religion, and without a humble imitation of whose example in these things, we can never hope to be a happy nation. So George Washington and John Adams both said that uh, the Constitution would only be effective if it could be infused with the, the values and uh, the, the attitude, the worldview that would come from Christianity, uh, the Declaration of Independence. Uh, we hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal and are endowed by their creators with certain inalienable rights, among them life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Uh, you know, that rolls off the tongue. Obviously, uh, Thomas Jefferson, who wrote the Declaration of Independence, spoke about being endowed by our creator with certain inalienable rights. In other words, government doesn't give us these inalienable rights. The creator does mm -hmm. because we're made in the image and likeness of God. That's pretty huge in and of itself. But uh, when we talk about the purpose of government being life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, well, try to bring those values, for instance, uh, to modern India where Hinduism dominates. Mm. The goal of government in India is not life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, <clears throat> particularly if you're a Dalit, uh, one of the low caste people. You've been to India. You can tell me better than, than I can tell you. But the purpose of that government is to keep the low caste people in their low caste situation. Why? Because their religious worldview says if you help a Dalit, the lowest of the low caste, to get out of that low caste, they are just going to have to come back in another life and be low caste again to work off their karma. That's how the government of India works. And that's why the government of India uh, oftentimes is a great persecutor of Christians uh, within uh, India because Christians come to Dalits and people like that and say, you don't have to be bound by this uh, deterministic uh, worldview any longer, uh, this false religion that has kept you captive. And boy, oh boy, that doesn't go over real well. Probably had experience with that. Oh, yeah. And sadly, the culture, just like here in the West, where we are sometimes as the church are more influenced by the culture than we are influencing it, uh, where you had Christian organizations where my hosts, men who were driving me from event from campus to campus, you know, doing these college programs, in tears saying it's even in our Christian organizations where that sentiment only people who would have been considered a higher caste get uh, put in higher uh, places of leadership right or give a given preferential treatment right and it's uh you know when you see it in the Christian community of course you're gonna see it in the culture where people criticize Mother Teresa because she was helping people and yeah. they saw it as a disservice well you're ruining their karma now they're going to have to go through it again. You're actually delaying their progress to reach, you know, moksha. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, and, and again, if uh, Sean were here with his annotated uh, copy of the Quran, uh, if you went to a Muslim nation, the purpose mm. of their government is not to provide life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Happiness is defined in Islam as submission to God, meaning submission to the endless list of commands and duties that are put forth for the adherence of Islam. Whether you're happy about it or not is beside the point. And all men are not created equal. If you are a Christian or a Jew, you have to pay a, pay a special tax just to exist in a Islamic nation that has instituted Sharia law. And uh, when we begin to see the uh, determinism, the uh, fatalism of Islam, mm. Uh, the fact that you, you and I weren't born Muslims means that we are under the wrath of Allah 
and uh, should be treated as such. So uh, the, the idea behind uh, these sort of things, and we sort of take it for granted, uh, the Christian worldview that informed the creation of our Constitution, the sort of take it for granted uh, ABCs of a biblical worldview uh, that, that would cause, say, for instance, the Westminster Confession to say that the chief end of man is to know God and enjoy him mm. forever, that all men are created in the image and likeness of God and as such are in, entitled to the dignity and respect that goes with that particular position. All of these concepts, even the idea of tolerance of other religious points of view, Christianity uh, has been abused in a coercive way, but from Jesus' teaching and the teaching of the New Testament, you will never see an example where uh, forced conversion or conversion at the edge of the sword mm -hmm. is ever advocated whatsoever. Uh, yeah, that's so. exactly right. And when you see that sort of thing take place in Islamic countries or if you uh, see the belittling of life or the devaluing of life in communistic nations. These are the, the logical outworkings of a atheistic worldview or an Islamic worldview. Whereas when you see Christians in the name of Christianity doing committing these kinds of atrocities, these are contradictory to the teachings of Jesus. They're not consistent. Right, right. So uh, when the question comes up then, is the United States a Christian nation? I would say constitutionally, yes, if we want to be I guess, originalists about the intent of yeah, the Constitution. It's, in, it's informed by the Judeo-Christian ethic. Yeah. Athens uh, and Jerusalem. Yeah, if we were to say, was the United States founded by individuals who were Christians or greatly influenced by a Christian worldview, we would have to say absolutely yes. But is the United States morally and spiritually a Christian nation now? No. We would have to say it is not. Uh, we as Christians are, in a sense, missionaries in our own land. We don't have to go overseas to find individuals who are thoroughly immersed in a pagan point of view. Uh, they're, they're all around us all the time. One of the most fascinating experiences I had with this was when I debated a, a witch. Uh, well, he was actually a warlock, I guess, but he was the head of a, a coven at the University of New Mexico. And in order to debate, I had to become very familiar with Wicca. And when people think about Wicca and witchcraft, they usually think of really ooky, spooky things and really bizarre behaviors and people dancing around trees and the moonlight and things like this. <laughs> but, uh, but Wicca, in a lot of ways, is more in harmony with where the average person is coming from in the United States than Christianity, the, the, the Wiccan rune if you will, the read, if you will, their, their, their standard for behavior uh, says this, uh, do as you will, but do no harm. Mm. Yeah. I mean, that's really where the average person is at. Yeah. As long as I'm not hurting anybody, I can go ahead and do whatever I want. And that's pretty much uh, our morality in these days. They believe that uh, all religious rivers eventually lead uh, to the afterlife. You might have to come back a few times through reincarnation to figure that out. Uh, they've got their own view of heaven, this place called Summerlin that they're all going to go to, and it's sort of a garden of earthly uh, pleasure, de delights kind of a thing. 
And uh, that, I think when you ask the average person, do you think all those things are true? Uh, the average person in our country, I think, is more in tune with Wiccan theology than Christian theology. So I would have to say that we are not a Christian nation in terms of where the hearts of people are, which is bad news, but it's also good news in that it really, in a sense, coalesces in my mind what I'm here to do. Mm. Why did God put me in this nation at this time? Was it just to uh, sit in the root cellar and, and keep the heathen out and you know, have a church that is uh, so uh, opaque and incomprehensible to anybody from the outside that uh, they won't get the joke and, you know, we'll, we'll just freeze them out until they leave. <laughs> no, our, our goal is, should be, to share the good news of Jesus Christ. We are to be, as Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount, uh, a city on the hill that cannot be hidden. Uh, we are to let our light shine before men. They might see our good deeds and glorify our Father in heaven, realizing what a real relationship with God is all about. We're not to take our lampstand and put it under a bushel basket, but to give light to the entire place that we're in. So I think when we understand that, and we understand the situation that we are in in this nation, uh, I'll pull no punch with it, very dark, Adrian, very dark, uh, but the darker the night, the more his light shines. Uh, we've got something to share with people. And uh, what we have to share with people is the uh, verifiable historical fact of the life, death, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. If God, in fact, has spoken to us and has proved it beyond a shadow of a doubt by walking among us as a man, by teaching in a way that nobody has ever taught before, by living a completely impeccable moral life that even his, own, his worst enemies could find no fault with, uh, who died on a cruel Roman cross voluntarily because he said he was paying for the sins of the world, and then raising from the dead three days later uh, in a way and with a historical background that can be verified to the satisfaction of any fair inquirer. Uh, when we look at that, we've got a message to share, and we also have a message to share about the difference that Jesus has made in our lives as people. So, um, you know, in a sense, when these questions come up and uh, maybe um, an unfortunate um, questionable spokesman like a Jim Baker, mm. you know, poured his Coke on the anthill, uh, you know, it's good when these things come up because uh, they can be real conversation starters for us. Mm. And uh, if we can point people to the fact that, you know, just because you were born in the United States doesn't make you a Christian. Uh, just because you live in a country that experiences the blessings of liberty because there was that Christian worldview at the beginning um, doesn't necessarily mean you're right with God. Mm. But here's how you can be right with God. Oh boy, if we can use this as a conversation starter, I think God can use this powerfully. Yeah, especially <clears throat> when there's so much evidence that you can look at. And you have to wonder, this might be what you'd consider anecdotal evidence, but if Christianity is true and the Christian worldview is the best way in which we should live, and we have a nation that is literally the greatest nation in human history and has brought more people out of poverty than in any other time in history, has blessed a greater portion of the world's population than any other time in history, yeah. you have to wonder, maybe that's a reason why Christianity is true, that when you actually follow God's word and apply it to all aspects of life, 
that you will be blessed. Yeah, you will live rightly. Yeah, and conversely, when you turn away from these things, these principles, people ask the question: Do you think God is judging the United States? Well, I think judging in the Romans chapter one, uh, verses eighteen through and following sense, in the sense that uh, when we say, "Well, God, go peddle your papers," God will respect our decision. Whether we like it when God goes to peddle his papers or not is another story. Uh, you know, when the hand of God's blessing is raised from any people group or any individual's life, uh, boy, we begin to uh, start to understand uh, how really, as the Bible says, every good and perfect gift comes mm. from above. Mm. And when God leaves, the good and perfect gifts have a funny way of going with them. Yeah. So. If you're interested in, maybe you're a skeptic or someone who has questioned your faith, or maybe you were raised in, like I was, a non-religious home, as Pastor Scott was as well, and you want to have maybe a more in-depth understanding of why Christianity is true, I'd encourage you to check out Pastor Scott's book, Reasonable Doubts. You can pick it up on Amazon. Of course, if you're in the Tucson area, pop on by to our office. We're open uh, Tuesday through Friday, and of course, you can drop in on a Sunday and pick yourself up a copy. So I'd encourage you to do that. It's a great book. Yeah, well, thank you. I appreciate the plug, and <laughs> and uh, if you come by here, uh, we'll be happy to sign a copy for you. Awesome. Yeah. Awesome. Well, we got quite a few interesting questions. Um, starting with an interesting name, Global Reviews. <laughs> if angels are creatures and created to worship, then why did God make human beings a little lower than the angels? If angels are just creatures and human beings are more than creatures, shouldn't it say a little lower than God? Thanks. Yeah, well, that's, that's a very interesting question. If you've got angels, right, who are God's servants, uh, these spiritual beings uh, that uh, always do His will, uh, why do we need human beings in the first place? Well, you know, uh, part of that, to be quite honest with you, uh, is uh, something that is hidden only in the mind of God. I imagine when we see him face to face, we'll know that entirely. But I think we can uh, determine uh, a bit of uh, insight in terms of the distinction that God makes between angels and human beings. Uh, angels, we are told, are, uh, are spiritual entities. The book of Hebrews, chapter 1, uh, if you want, uh, boy, a condensed uh, Cliff Notes version on all things angelology, uh, Hebrews chapter 1 shows that Jesus is greater than the angels, and he does so by contrast. Uh, you know, again, uh, among the other th the things we are told uh, about angels, uh, uh, in this uh, particular passage is that he makes his angels spirits and his ministers a flame of fire. In other words, angels are spiritual beings. They're not physical beings like we are. We are told that angels have a mission. Are they not all ministering spirits sent forth to minister for those who will inherit salvation? In other words, one of the main reasons that God created angels in the first place was so that they would be part and parcel of his intended ministry, if you will, to human beings. Now, the thing that really makes us distinct from angels uh, is this. Uh, we are told uh, about angels, uh, for instance, uh, in uh, Hebrews chapter 2 and verse 5. For he has not put the world to come, of which we speak in subjection to angels, but has testified in a certain place, saying, What is man that you're mindful of him, or the son of man that you take care of him? You've made him a little lower than the angels. You've crowned him with glory and honor and sent him over the works of your hands. You put all things in subjection under 
his feet. Now, a very interesting insight into uh, the future of humanity. The Bible says that one in a coming day, we will judge in the sense of administrate, be in authority over angels. So this idea of making us little, a little lower than the angels right now is a temporary condition, according to the Bible. Uh, very interesting that angels, apparently, somewhere, I believe, between Genesis, uh, the end of Genesis uh, chapter 1 and the beginning of Genesis chapter 3, had the opportunity to make a decision about their own relationship with God. Uh, they would either become elect angels or fallen angels. And in Revelation chapter 12, it indicates that one-third of the angels followed Satan in his rebellion against God. Uh, the reason I say that happened then is because it had to happen sometime between God pronouncing everything in his creation very good and suddenly evil coming on the scene, uh, the rejection of good. So, uh, you know, when we see this happening, we are told uh, an interesting insight about angels in distinction to human beings. In Hebrews chapter 2 and verse 14, it says, Inasmuch as the children have partaken of flesh and blood, he himself likewise shared in the same, that through death he might destroy him who had the power of death, that is the devil, and release those who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. For indeed, he does not give aid to angels, but he does give aid to the seed of Abraham. Now, that's a really interesting statement because it tells us something. The angel's decision to reject God was a one-way decision. Angels are not redeemable creatures. Mm -hmm. Human beings, although we made a decision to reject God, are redeemable human beings. We can receive that aid from Jesus to be reconciled to God. Well, what's the difference? Well, I think uh, the explanation that makes the most sense to me is to whom much is given, much is required. Mm. The angels made their decision to rebel against God with the full knowledge that comes from standing in his presence and seeing his glory. We, on the other hand, see his glory in the creation. We see his glory in uh, the nature of human beings made in the image and likeness of God. Uh, we see his glory historically and how he has dealt with people as recorded in the Bible. Mostly we see his glory in the person of Jesus Christ, but that is, in a sense, a step back from the level of revelation that the angels themselves had. And so we as human beings right now, because we're physical, we're not spiritual. And because we are physical and fallen, we are subject to death. In other words, that is where we find ourselves lower, if you will, than the angels. Mm -hmm. We are lower than the angels in the sense that we do not behold God directly in his glory as the angels do. We are lower than the angels in that the angels are pure spirit beings and will never be altered in any sense eternally. Uh, we go through the process of, uh, of life and growth and death and decay and so on in these physical bodies we have. We are spiritual and physical, if you will, at that point. If we receive Jesus as our Savior, then we become alive spiritually and eternally. If we reject that relationship with him, the Bible says we're dead in our trespasses mm -hmm. and sins. So because we are in that kind of flux between being like the angels, if you will, uh, you know, uh, and yet not as the angels, not there as of yet, 
um, because we will have spiritual bodies in a sense like Jesus did, a higher privilege than the angels do. Mm. You know, they're spirits, ministers of fire. That's who they are and what they do. They can appear in a physical form, but that's not their essential nature because one day we will be like Jesus for we will see him as he is. Then we will no longer be low, a little lower than the angels. We will actually be over the angels. And in uh, 1 Corinthians chapter mm. 5, the apostle Paul said, uh, one day, you know, you guys can't so uh, solve legal disputes between yourselves. Do you not realize that one day you'll judge angels? Wow. So uh, that's that. In an, in essence, is where mm. we fit into that. I hope that that uh, answers your question that's a good about question. that. A little side note: speaking of angels coming from a place of privilege and understanding, and then rejecting it, uh, what, what's your take on when Peter? I believe it was the Apostle Peter who penned the idea of it is better to have not known the way of righteousness than to have known it and turned away. How are people who don't know the truth uh, better off than those who simply knew it and decided still not to believe? Well, when Peter makes this statement, uh, he is talking about the, uh, the horrible fate of false teachers, those who uh, essentially uh, lead people astray. And he's got an awful lot to say about that in the book of Second Peter. Uh, you can see Peter's shepherd heart getting uh, a little bit uh, riled up mm. over these individuals who do such damage. Uh, you know, as far as the deceptiveness of false teachers uh, in Second Peter chapter two and uh, verse uh, fifteen or verse eighteen, we say we see this it says when they speak great swelling words of emptiness. Uh, they allure through the lusts of the flesh, through lewdness, the ones who have actually escaped from those who live in error. While they promise them liberty, they themselves are slaves of corruption, from whom a person for for by whom a person is overcome, by him also he is brought into bondage. For if after they have escaped the pollutions of the world through the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, they are again entangled with them and overcome. The latter end is worse for them than the beginning, for it would have been better for them not to have known the way of righteousness than having known it to turn from the holy commandment delivered to them. But it happened to them, uh, according to the true proverb, a uh, dog returns to its own vomit and a sow having been washed uh, to her wallowing in the mire. Hmm. Uh, so uh, what's being said there is, is this. Once again, it's that to whom much is given, much is required principle. Uh, you know, we are told uh, by Jesus, for instance, that uh, the person who knew his master's will and didn't do it mm. will be beaten with many stripes. The one who didn't know his master's will will be beaten with few. And what Jesus was doing with that particular uh, metaphor, if you will, that analogy about masters and slaves and, and the eternal destinies of people uh, is this. If you hear the full message of Jesus, you have the Holy Spirit convicting you that it's true. Uh, you uh, have heard God's word, God's beckoning to you saying, it's time for you to make a decision. And you turn away from that. Uh, you'll never be able to stand before God at judgment day and say, hey, I didn't know. Mm. Um, you know, Bertrand Russell was famously quoted as saying, well, what would you do if you came to the end of your life as a committed atheist and found out there was a God uh, what would you say then? I, he said, well, I would say to him, sir, 
why didn't you make the evidence for your existence more plain? As if it's God's fault, not Bertrand Russell's fault. Well, Bertrand Russell passed away decades ago, so he's already had that experience. You know, he used his brilliance and, and his insight to lead a lot of people away from a relationship with God. His book, Why I'm Not a Christian, really it's kind of why I'm not a Catholic when you read it, yeah. uh, but uh, why I'm not a Christian uh, is required reading in universities across the world. Uh, you know, I just kind of wonder how Bertrand Russell feels about that as the ultimate byproduct mm. of his life. God's going to hold a person accountable for that. Mm. Bertrand Russell couldn't say, I didn't know. Bertrand Russell couldn't say, I've never heard about Jesus. Uh, you know, the question always comes up, you know, what about that noble savage uh, somewhere in uh, Nepal or deepest, darkest Africa, the Amazon rainforest, who never had an opportunity to hear about Jesus? How's God going to judge them? Well, the first thing I would tell you is God is going to judge them absolutely correctly. Mm -hmm. Will not the judge of all the earth do what is right? Nobody's going to stand before God on that day and say, oh, that, that noble savage in, in uh, the Amazon, you really blew it on that one, God. You really, you know, no, nobody's going to say that at all. God will always get it right. Mm -hmm. Secondly, in the book of Romans, we are told that people, even in that situation, have no excuse because that which may be known of God is evident within them because God has made it evident to them. In other words, we can look around at the creation. We can look into our hearts as human beings. We can look at, like C.S. Lewis talked about, this moral ought that we have, that there are certain things in life that are fair and not fair, and we just instinctively know that. You know, for, for me, Adrian, just to say, for no reason, reach across the studio and punch you in the face, uh, you'd probably be a little upset about that. A little surprised. <laughs> yeah, uh, it, but if I were to say, well, you know, I mean, you know, it's just something, you know, it was just my accidental collocation of atoms in my brain. and I just couldn't help it at that point, you know, sorry. I, I don't think that would, would calm you down. Why? Because an injustice has happened mm -hmm. here. You don't just hit somebody for no reason. Well, where do we get that idea? You know, C.S. Lewis talked about the idea of you, you only know something is crooked if you've got an idea of what straight means. Mm. And God has put that within our hearts and our minds. The other thing that I would add to that, because they're like, well, okay, so they look around the creation and they have this sense of right and wrong and you know, this idea that we were made for more than news, weather, and sports, but how's that gonna really get you to heaven if you gotta believe in Jesus? Well, uh, you know, there's a fascinating book called Eternity in Their Hearts, written by a cultural anthropologist, Don Stewart, who is, mm -hmm. uh, I, I should say, uh, uh, Don Richardson, not Don Stewart, uh, Don Richardson. Uh, who spent years as a missionary in Erie and Jaya and uh, came to the conclusion through his research that God has not left himself without a witness in every culture, that there's a key to the hearts mm. of people in every culture that fits exactly right. And some of the stories that you know, we hear from missionaries and that uh, Richardson details in his book you know, even include God supernaturally bringing the gospel to people that didn't have any access mm. to missionaries. One uh, shaman in uh, a, uh, a place in, uh, I believe it was in Laos, uh, when missionaries finally got to him, uh, you know, they started to tell him about Jesus. Oh, well, we already know all about him. Mm. He goes, here, let me show you, you know. He, uh, you know, he appeared to us and he told us these things. Wow. So, you know, if anyone has the slightest inclination to want to have a relationship with God, God's going to give them all the information mm. necessary. Our problem is we don't, by our very nature, mm. you know. 
when it's like asking the question, why do bad things happen to good people? Well, show me a good person, really. <laughs> <laughs> you know, by, I mean, by, he, by God's definition. Yeah, Jesus yeah. even challenged Nicodemus, why do you call me good? No one's good. You know, he was speaking, don't we all know? Even yeah. though he himself was sinless, but, you know, he's obviously speaking the truth about human beings. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, it's, yeah, yeah right. the rich young ruler. So, you know, when, when we, we talk about, you know, that, that whole issue, okay, uh, you know, why is it that, uh, that human beings are going to experience this judgment? Well, the angels did, you know, and their judgment was sealed. We are going to experience judgment. Mm. The Holy Spirit is here, according to John 16, to convict uh, men of three things, sin, righteousness, and judgment. In other words, he works overtime saying, you know what? You got a problem. It's sin. But here's the good news. A right relationship with your mm. creator is possible because of what he has done for you, because he loves you, because he died for you, because he rose from the dead. But you've got to make a decision to accept or reject that. And your eternal destiny at Judgment Day is going to be determined by that. There aren't uh, heaven isn't for perfect people; it's for forgiven people, mm. and we ne we should never forget that. Speaking of those of, who technically have never heard of Jesus, is there a difference between the New Testament saints and Old Testament saints? Alex Strape, I think, is that who you? Maybe that's your first name. I'm sorry if I butchered it, but uh, so he wanted to know. So, at what point are the Old Testament saints resurrected? For them. Is it with us, or do they wait until the end of the tribulation period? In heaven, is time different? Are we all together when we die? Is it a, a free everything has already happened all at once? Uh, yeah, yeah, you can. <laughs> a lot of questions yeah, there. But yeah, the main you, question you, is. Yeah, you can. That subject can uh, get you involved in some serious spiritual tail chasing if you're not careful. <laughs> but uh, great question, though. Um, probably the best way to put uh, the pieces together is to take a look at how Jesus summarized the state of individuals prior to his death and resurrection. It's found in uh, the Gospel of Luke chapter 16, the account of the rich man and Lazarus. Uh, Jesus, by the, and the reason I call it an account, not a parable, is Jesus was really good about uh, letting you know when he was gonna share a parable. He would say, hear the parable of, or the kingdom of heaven is like, uh, and then he would lay out a parable. The other thing that I think uh, distinguishes this from a parable and makes it more of an account is in no other parable of Jesus are proper names used. Mm. In this particular parable, uh, we've got Lazarus, we've got Abraham being named by a proper name. We also have the rich man, Dives in Greek, who some scholars believe that was his proper name. It's like being named Richie Rich, if you will. So, you know, we have this account, and in this account, we are told that uh, this Lazarus fellow was a beggar uh, longing for crumbs that fell from the rich man's table. Dogs came and licked his sores. The rich man fared sumptuously every day, was dressed in purple, the Armani suit of his day, and, and so on. Uh, and uh, he, the, they both died. And uh, Lazarus is carried by the angels to a place called Abraham's bosom. In other words, right at Abraham's side in a place that we would describe as paradise. The rich man finds himself in a place of torment. Now, both of them are within shouting distance of each other. In other words, we see the dead in the Old Testament going to this one same place called the grave or Sheol, as it's referred to in the Old Testament. Part of Sheol was a paradise-like compartment 
where the spirits of those who died, faith in God, looking forward, if you will, in time to what Messiah would do, that's where they would go. They would be comforted there. Those who rejected a relationship with God would end up in that place where the rich man was. Now, this dual compartment situation, I believe, was the status of where people were prior to the death and resurrection of Jesus. Because in the book of Ephesians chapter 4, we are told that when Jesus died uh, and rose from the dead, he led captivity captive and gave gifts to men. He descended to the lowermost parts of the earth that he might ascend to the, the, uttermo- uh, the uppermost parts of creation. Well, this leading captivity captive is really interesting because it describes a, uh, well, a, an expected uh, victory celebration that would happen during that era. If a victorious general would come back after defeating, say, the foes of uh, their particular city or their particular uh, state, uh, they would have this victory parade. And behind the general, would n- you would not only have like these enemies, uh, these POWs put on display, but you would also have individuals who were from that country who were prisoners of war who had been set free and they would just be giving thanks to the general for liberating them and so on. Well, that's an idea of setting, uh, of, cap- of leading captivity captive. And so when Jesus died and then rose from the dead, what he did was he emptied, if you will, the uh, Abraham's bosom side of Sheol. Because of that, now we are told, for instance, in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 8, to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord instantaneously, just like Lazarus didn't go to sleep and, you know, and so on. Just like Jesus said to the, the, uh, the thief on the cross, today you'll be with me in paradise. To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. Spiritually, everyone who has died in Christ is instantly present with the Lord. Now, people will say, well, what about 1 Corinthians 15, where it talks about, you know, that, uh, you know, that there's going to be this resurrection each in its turn, and, you know, and then, then uh, you know, the, the, uh, the dead in Christ uh, will, uh, will rise, in a sense, receive their resurrection bodies, and then we who are alive and remain, you know, be caught up with them in the clouds, uh, you know, we uh, will not all sleep, we will all be changed in a moment in the twinkling of an eye at last trumpet. Well, what happens at this particular point, I believe this is the point of the rapture, is that at this point, all of our loved ones who have died in Christ, they're there in the presence of the Lord. They're enjoying his presence there. But they do not have resurrection bodies yet, as Jesus did. Why? What did the resurrection body allow Jesus to do? It allowed him, as essentially a spiritual being, to relate to a physical world. That's why he could say to his disciples, you know, reach forth, you know, your, your finger, put it in my hand. They have the print in my hand. Reach forth your hand, put it in my side. You know, do you have a piece of fish? You know, let me eat it. He could interact with the, the physical world while demonstrating supernatural qualities. The ability, say, mm-hmm. to enter rooms without using doors, <laughs> which would really impress me. Uh, the ability to be one place at one moment, another place at the next. That's why he even told them, they thought he was a spirit. And he right. Goes, yeah. They don't have flesh and bones as you see I have. Yeah, exactly. So that, that resurrection body that Jesus demonstrates there is not a necessity for those who've died. Why? Because they don't come back here. 
They don't interact with the physical world. They are present with the Lord spiritually. And so they have spiritual bodies. It's not like they're, you know, you know disembodied spirits floating around. Uh, David Jeremiah talks about maybe a temporary kind of a heavenly body that they receive in order to relate to each other and so on. Possible. But uh, when, uh, when we are finally raptured, right, then those who are in heaven will receive a resurrection body. Why? Because within seven years, they're coming back with Jesus mm. to relate to this, spirit, this physical world again. They'll need it at this point. Why will we receive a resurrection body at the rapture? Well, try uh, imagining what would happen to the human body going from zero to infinity in, you know, blink of an the eye. Blink of an eye. <laughs> you know, it would tear us up. I mean, just the, the pressure itself. The rapture happened and we didn't have some kind of transformation takes takes place jesus could catch us up but that roof that's above us right now would do serious damage to us so we will instantaneously receive these resurrection bodies that allowed jesus for instance to be able to rise to heaven in the presence and the viewing of his disciples his resurrection body allowed him to do that and so our resurrection body will allow us to do that as well and so once we receive those resurrection bodies at that point that's the state we're going to be in forever that's where revelation 21 comes in uh, where there's going to be no more sorrow no more suffering no more death uh, the former things mm. passed away god will wipe away every tear from so their th eyes those in shoal then would have joined at that moment those who are disembodied in a sense they would have just joined them yeah they'd be there in heaven with them gotcha. the old testament saints are present and, and at the, the rapture we'll all be resurrected at the same time then we will be resurrected in the sense defining it mm as receiving our resurrection bodies. We'll see you on Wednesday. God bless you. Thanks You've for tuning been listening in. to A Reason for Hope. Thank you again for joining us as we continue our journey through God's Word, one question of the heart at a time. Until we meet again, we would love to connect with you. You can text or email your questions to questionsforhope at gmail.com. You can also find out more about our ministry at calvarychristianfellowship.com. And be sure to join us next time on A Reason for Hope. A Reason for Hope is an outreach ministry of Calvary Christian Fellowship in Tucson, Arizona.